the the process is really the 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 most enjoyable part and um we have somehow along the way decided that the process isn't enjoyable and so we just want to skip from a to the end and and celebrate that and Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right. So the Sixers uh, won their their playoff series. And I I have not been following the playoffs this year for some reason. Not not at all. No. Mm-hmm. No. Well, I saw I I saw I saw Dame uh, Lillard and the Trailblazers had some kind of amazing comeback last night, and he hit the game winner because uh, it's plastered all over my social media, but. Mm-hmm. I just, for some reason, haven't kept up with the playoffs this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, right now with everything, I, I was just kind of out of the loop for the uh, the um, the first round. But um, you know, the Sixers are moving on to the second round, and I'm trying to think back. You know, how long it's been since the Sixers have gotten out of the first round of the playoffs? Has it, it been a while? It, it, they... It's been it's been several several lean years. Well, I mean. You, you, you're winning the titles in all the other sports, so, you know, why not add another mm-hmm. another one to that list? Well, the Phillies had a great start to the season. They're, they're kind of going through a bit of a, a rough patch last night, but uh, I was putting the baby to bed and cut the end of the Phillies game. And, you know, in baseball, there's just like, there's little things you do and there's things you don't do. So, two outs in the ninth, and the Mets are up 9 nothing. So at that point, just close the game out. Yeah, you know, you've you've taken so far two games out of the series, and Reese Hoskins is up, and the the pitcher decides to chuck a ball over his head, and it was kind of like you know he was sending a message like mm-hmm. we, we own you, and then you know, of course the umpire you know, the benches slowly start to empty, no <laughs> brawl or anything, but of course they're yapping and. You know, the umpire warns everybody to go back a couple pitches later, ball four over his head again. And at that point, there's yelling. And I'm like, yeah, you you just lit a fire under them. Because <laughs> they, they, they've been just struggling. And, you know, you can tell that they're frustrated. And even the announcers who are former MLB guys are like, yeah, you don't do that. That that That's how you tick off an opponent. And they come out and really take it to you the next night and even the next series. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball is interesting with all of the uh, the unwritten rules, and and no offense to any relief pitchers, but I get such uh, entertainment out of watching uh, benches clear on YouTube videos uh-huh. for watching the bullpens. It is the most hilarious thing ever. If you like these, you know, everyone gets mad, and then all of a sudden you see the bullpen gates open, and both sets of bullpens jog through the outfield side by side yeah. up to the mass. And I'm like, you guys aren't going to do anything. <laughs> I'm like, why not? Why not just why not just come out of your gates and then the two bullpens go at it? But no, they yeah. kind of, you know, nicely walk side by side towards the main uh, 
you know the 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 main little fight yeah but but one of the best and i forget who the batter was but nolan ryan was the pitcher you know hits the guy the guy charges the mound and nolan ryan puts him in a headlock oh yes and and starts throwing yeah 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 i've watched lots of uh bench clearing brawls on youtube (laughs) i don't know why i find them so entertaining but they are uh yeah they're fun to watch that's that's like hockey fights too yeah yeah Baseball is interesting. Baseball has so many unwritten rules. There's one one fight that I remember watching. I, I think it was uh, I don't I I can't remember the team, so I'm not going to say it. But there was a young kid that hit a home run. He took a little too long to look at it. It was his first ever home run. Yeah, so um, he's watching it. So go. he watched it, and apparently that did not go over well. He rounds the bases, and the catcher is standing there in the baseline in front of him and home plate. And is telling him, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. And and bench is cleared and everyone's going at it. But, you know, there's all these little unwritten rules about things you do and things you don't do. And even mm-hmm. if you're a rookie and you hit your first home run, you can't take a peek. You know? So. Well, the Phillies made some big moves in the offseason. So last year was the year they brought up several young kids and was like, okay, it's either put up, put up or shut up time. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's time to move from being prospects with potential to players that are actually playing well. And there was some bright spots last year, but then they ultimately fizzled out. So they're like, okay, we're going to get out, go out and get some veterans to teach some of these guys. So they got JT Real Muto, who's like one, one of the best catchers in the game from the Marlins. Um, they brought in um, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, uh, a veteran outfielder who definitely still has some speed and can still hit the ball, which has been great. And then, of course, the big splash was signing Bryce Harper. Yeah. Uh, who, I mean, he, he could be a streaky player just like anybody, but when you sign a major contract like that, everyone's expecting a home run at every Right, event. right, for sure. And, you know, with, with the signings that they had already made uh, or the trades that they made, they, they already it kind of helped give them some swagger. But when Harper came in, like, they, like, I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, we, we, we're the team to beat now. So, of course, like, you know, they, they start off the season pretty well, and, you know, hitting home runs and doing celebrations as, you know, as they reach home plate, different handshakes and whatnot. And you could tell it was ticking off some of the other teams. Yeah, yeah. And so. Up breaking some rule. Exactly. You know, you don't always show up the pitcher. And I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of <laughs> like having some swagger. I don't mind a pitcher on the mound having some swagger and let the batters have it because, you know, to, to, to a point, too, while the sports is competition, it's also entertainment. Yeah. So yeah. You, you could tell, like, they, they were starting to get thrown at. And, of course, the Mets, like, Philadelphia and New York, massive sports rivalry. So mm-hmm. you look at the Flyers, Rangers, going back to the 70s, uh, Phillies, Mets. And, I mean, like, Jimmy Rollins, who was part of the 08 team. You know, it was in 07 that, you know, you had a team on the rise, and he was being interviewed at the beginning of the season. And he's like, no, we're the team to beat, not the Mets. And that ticked off the Mets and the Mets fans. And, you know, the Phillies became the, the team to beat. So you, you still have feelings of that. And right now, the way it's looking is you have both the Mets and the Phillies are going to be fighting for first in the NL East. So, I mean, you're seeing, like, late summer, almost playoff-type games between these two right now. Mm. And just the game last night, I'm, they're rocking the baby to sleep. I'm like, I, I should really put you down, but I want to see what happens at the end of this game. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I de- I'm, I'm definitely going to see what happens tonight because, like, that's also something with athletes. Like, they don't forget. Right. Like, you you hear stories of hockey players, just a dirty hit, and they'll wait half a season. 
to get they'll wait an entire season to 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 get back at you know the, the other player yeah because they're not going to take a stupid penalty say in a late season game that has playoff implications or something like that they'll wait their turn and uh they'll, they'll wait till the perfect opportunity so i'm curious to see what's going to happen tonight there you go i'm i'm interested in how you're going to pivot this but i think you have something in mind actually i don't okay um, i i, I, I um, it, it was, I, I it was John, John wasn't here. So you felt, we felt more comfortable talking about, uh, baseball and John would be like, <laughs> what, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. You know, unfortunately John, John's a little under the weather today, so it's going to be the two of us, but I think it's going to be a good one. It's something we we've talked about many times and I believe you got the stat. So what I want to talk about is, is, well, we've talked about the, the analytics turnover problem multiple yeah. times. Um, and one of the things I've had on my list is a follow-up episode to really dig into how do we go about solving it? And, you know, are, are we going to have the exact answers? No, but let, let's start to have a conversation because we've talked about the very real problems the turnover situation has. And I believe you said it was Corey Prohens at IQ Workforce has basically said that, you know, the, the, the typical analytics and digital marketing tenure is 18 months. So you barely have someone getting in there, putting their, you know, their stamp on something or getting a program up and running, and then they're already moving on and someone coming in. Yeah. So that creates a problem where you're in a constant state of build. You actually never really move into something that's actually like fully productionized and, and moving. So I kind of wanted to talk about this because, and I'm going to put you on the spot to kind of start it off. Because um, if you think about it, um, you and Hila started 33 sticks six years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm about three months away of celebrating four years with you guys. That's amazing. Which is, which is more than twice the, the average tenure. Now uh, I was going to, I wanted to bring in John because John's almost three, three years, yeah. almost three years yeah. with, with the team. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that's unheard of. And I've actually heard clients when I've talked to them, like I've gone on site and, you know, we're just chit-chatting on our way back from lunch. You know, one of the reasons that they, they like working with us is the staying power. They know that, you know, I, one client in particular is even said like, is Jason keeps people around. So I want to make sure that, you know, we, we keep you around because you guys remember the history because you've been here so long. Yeah. So maybe let, let me put you on the spot and say like, you know, what are the things that you think you've done to, to be able to keep a, a, a very stable team with very low turnover? Um, and just, just speak from, from your own personal experience, and then um, we'll go from there. Man, you are putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I, you know, it's interesting because I had a similar conversation yesterday with one of our clients. We're, we're talking about some uh, additional work with them this year, and and he said something like, one of the things that we maybe even take for granted sometimes is that you guys are always around in our consistency and we have complete faith that that you're there. And, you know, you've been here longer than a lot of our employees. We've had people come in and go, but you guys have been the consistency and and that makes us feel really, really safe. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is um, other than when we started the company, the whole basis for doing it was doing something different. And, you know, I've spent most of my career uh, in services. I, I took a three and a half year-ish hiatus and, and worked client side. Um, but most of my career was in, in services. 
Um, and I got to see a lot of things that I really, really liked and some things that I didn't like. And I think I mentioned even on one of our podcasts that back to my very first job out of college, um, I really struggled getting into the, the corporate world. And there were things that just rubbed me the wrong way. And to cope with it, I started keeping notes in a little notebook that was like, okay, if I ever started a company, these, these are things that I, I want to do and try. Um, and so I've always had that mindset of, I think things can be done differently. Um, and you, you can have an environment where you have a company that grows financially and is financially secure and stable um, and makes money. And I think it's okay to say that, you know, it's okay to say we're, we're trying to make money, you know, that's why we're in business, but it doesn't have to be at the cost of everything else. And one of the things that I really, really struggled with in the corporate world was that people weren't looked at as, as people and they were just resources. Um, they were either resources to the company to help drive higher stock prices. They were resources to an executive team that was trying to get bigger bonuses. They weren't really looked at as, as people. And so as I matured in my career and got into more leadership positions, I started to try some things out and say, what would happen if we flipped the scenario and started treating people with a little bit more respect and dignity, like they were people, you know, what would happen? And it was strange because. I often got met with a lot of pushback from people that this isn't how you do business. You're not going to run a successful business doing this. You're not going to have a profitable business doing this. You know, this isn't how you, you run a business, but it's the, it's how I wanted to run a business. Um, and so uh, again, when we started the company, I don't think we necessarily sat down and said, okay, we're going to have to hire really, really talented people and keep them around for a long time. So let's build a culture to do that. We, we didn't say that. Um, we sat down and said, how can we build a company that is going to treat people right? And, and that's everybody. It's, it's our employees. It's our clients. It's our partners. It's, it's people in the industry that we may not even have a contractual relationship with, but we rub shoulders with. How can we create a company in which we we treat people the right way. And what happens if we do that? And I think one of the really nice byproducts of that is we've attracted really smart and talented people that have wanted to stick around for a long time. So I think that, you know, the, the baseline is, is just treating people with respect. But the bigger part of it is that we've started to understand is you also have to understand what, what people need and, and what drives people. And understanding that at an individual level and not just coming up with one plan to say, here's how you mature through our organization. Because we know everyone's different. You know, Jim, you're different than John. You know, you have different goals and desires for where you want to take your career and what motivates you. And so that was a big thing for us was to um, set aside that time to really understand people deep down and what motivated them and what what they needed in order to feel happy and successful and and really appreciate it. Um, I think it's the one thing I've heard from everybody that has joined the company is that the companies that they were at before, they were getting paid really well. Um, mm -hmm. They had what they needed from a compensation standpoint, but the universal story has been, but I want to work on things that matter and feel like my, my work is is appreciated. Um, so I've kind of rambled on and, and probably well outside kind of the scope of why people switch jobs so quickly. But for us, 
that's what it came down to was just flipping the scenario and doing things differently and offering people a different environment than they had been in before. So hopefully they're in a place where they're happy, they're content, but they're still pushed to do more and that we recognize um, the value that they add to, to the organization and help them celebrate that. And, and no, that that's perfect. That's exactly how I was kind of wanted to start it off and you know, start talking about, you know, you specifically um, and yeah, and it may not have been specific things that you've done. And sometimes it's the specific things that you do. That I find sometimes backfire. It's the, uh, how do I want to word it? It's, it's sometimes the unintended consequences of yeah. doing things the right way. You know, you, you, you find, you know, in this case, find, find the right people. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing for, for me, it's building the right culture and then letting things shake out. I, I think too many companies and, and maybe it's more, more difficult. I'm sure it's much more difficult with larger scale, but when you, when you come up with, you see these companies come up with something like, okay, this is going to make everyone happy. Okay. We're going to put in a game room or we're going to have, you know, free soda in the fridge that may align with a certain group of people, you know, but it's, it's much different from setting a culture of we're going to be different and our culture is going to be about caring about people, truly caring about people on a personal level. And then all those other things may come in and go, but they're not the central focus of your, your culture. You know, culture isn't a, a ping pong table. Exactly. And the, the, the ping pong table, the game room, the, you know, the, the Nintendo Wii's, the PlayStation's, you know, whatever. And the free soda, like that, that gets old, especially when you have an organization that is burning you out. Yeah. Because I think that that is one of the big drivers uh, of, of a lot of the turnover is for you know, the, the, the typical agency model is to chase every single deal. And win every single mm-hmm. deal, have every logo possible on that 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 was it typically slide two or three of yeah the, of the NASCAR the NASCAR back. slide yeah the NASCAR slide. So having as many logos there is you, you know one of the unintended consequences there is you start burning people out yeah because um, you know you you're pushing them to get more and more done. You've talked about the with the billable model. You know people having to work thirty eight and a half hours a week specifically on client stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you're also asking them to to do other things as well. So those other things start to to um, get old very very fast. And I think one of the things I've liked since I've joined here is, and we talk about it a lot, is is not chasing every deal, chasing the deals that are right, chasing the clients that are are right, so that we don't burn ourselves out. Because uh, I know at one point, I don't know, like I, I was just. It, it was a crazy fall with uh, several clients and projects trying to get done before the holidays. And, you know, you, you, you were having one of your talks with me to talk me off the ledge. And you're like, you know, you got to remember, this is not just a marathon. Like this is a, a, a hyper marathon, like that hundred mile or um, where you seriously need to, to pace yourself. You can't constantly yeah. sprint through it because then you will burn yourself out. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize there are a lot of massive differences between services companies um, and, and other companies. Um, so if we're talking about why there's such a short tenure um, in, in analytics, I do think it's important to recognize that fact that there are, there are huge differences between between those two. But to your point, um, 
with with services companies that was a huge motivator for for starting the company again having spent most of my career working in services was this is this is a road to burnout um and i i can see that it it it's difficult to be in it long term and a lot of really really big agencies so if you look at the big big agencies out there that's their model and they fully embrace it they they don't hide from it and 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 i think you know that's fine um as long as they're being open and transparent that this is what we do you know their goal is to have a few elite people at the top they bring in young college kids it's great to get them a lot of exposure um early on but they know two to three years and they're going to cycle through the next batch of of kids coming in and that's how they sustain their their model for for me um, and what we were looking to build, we wanted to have a, a bit more um, stability and experience in in what we did. And I, I knew that there's no way that I can go out and get a gym and have him come join us and say, you know what, I'm just going to try to squeeze as much as I can in the shortest period of time. If I did, we wouldn't be, well, maybe we'd be having this podcast conversation, but you'd probably be off working somewhere else and we'd have you on as a guest. Because it, it wouldn't have lasted four years, right? It, it, it just wouldn't have, have lasted. And I think for us specifically, why we have such long tenure with our, our people is that that has been an absolute focus is that we, we don't want to burn people out. Our goal isn't to maximize profits this quarter. We're in this for, for the long run. And in order to do that, we have to make some really conscious choices about what's best over the long term, not what's just best today or this quarter. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you look at, um, when you look at the kind of client side, I think there's a a whole different set of pressures and things that are on there that, that come into play that, that we can explore as well. I'm trying to find a, trying to find a quote. I'll find it. So keep, keep going. Yeah, no, because then, then I, I want to pivot it a bit. So I wanted the conversation to kind of start of like, you know, talking about, you know, individual companies and why people move on and why people stay. But yeah. then there's this other thought I was thinking about kind of coming into it um, is more of kind of like an, an industry kind of trend or maybe trend's not the right word, but, but, but an industry characteristic per se. And I'm going to say something that, you know, people may find con- controversial, Um it's, it's easy to implement, mm-hmm. right? It's constantly easy to implement. Now, granted, you know, the, 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 there's the intricacies of it. And what I mean by that is it's easy to constantly be in build mode because there's always a shiny new toy. Yeah. And I mean, believe me, this is coming from an implementer. I love to implement. I, I think I've talked about it on before. Like we all like up. to build. Everyone yeah. wants to be a Exactly. Builder. Everybody likes to build. And growing yeah. up, like my favorite toy was Legos. Love playing with them. And... I've kind of made the correlation like what I'm able to do is, is I'm playing with the adult version of Legos yeah. when it comes to implementing, yeah. Whether, you know, when it's designing the architecture, uh, you know, aligning the various pieces, putting a plan together and how to actually get them all in place and then actually starting to build. It's, it's like Legos. Yeah. Um, whereas it's easy to build. It's fun to build. It is harder to maintain and incrementally improve and not nearly as fun to maintain, incrementally build, and use a system. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think that's a, a huge a huge part of it. Um, and I also think that there are a lot of things that come into play when when you look at that. And one is just the the build mentality. It is fun to build. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not so much to maintain. I don't know a lot of people there. I do. I do know a handful of people that love the maintenance piece, but most people maintenance is a necessary evil. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and so people love to build, you build something and then you move on to the other thing, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm done with this Lego set. I want a new Lego set. I'm done with this. Want, and, and that's what we see happening a lot in companies I think that's a huge factor with the turnovers. People love to build. They get in. They have an opportunity to build something. They build it. Now we're in maintenance mode. Eh, what do we do? It's unfortunate because I think there's a huge amount of opportunity to continue to build. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that we work with our clients. So uh, we have our, our matrix model where we build and build and build, and it all builds on top of each other. And we have kind of different cities and different things, however you want to look at it. So there's lots of opportunities to build. But I think another factor that comes into play is that a lot of people don't have the skill set to build outside of one one domain. So they've built their uh, their analytics implementation. Okay, I'm going to move on. They've built their optimization program. Okay, I'm going to move on. Instead of looking at at it more holistically and saying, no, this is a a a marketing tech wide strategy that I'm trying to build. They they just don't get there. And I think a big part of that. And there's there's lots of of pieces to that. And, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this conversation. I want to be careful because I, I could probably very easily upset people by being a little too raw in my criticism here, but it's a very real problem we have in, in our industry. And I don't think, I don't think people are going out of their way to be lazy per se, but the, the marketplace has maybe encouraged isn't the right word, but it's the right um, environment to, to create laziness for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And, and I've talked with multiple hiring managers who, who have said things to me like, dude, I've talked to people that have like eight years experience in this industry and they haven't done anything. In fact, I've called them out on it. said, what have you done over the last mm -hmm. eight years of your career? It's very little. And, and they've asked me like, why is that happening? I'm like, well, there isn't a natural force pushing people to expand outside of what they're currently doing. And what I mean by that is there's such a shortage of talent in the analytics space that there's no one pushing you to rise above what you're currently doing so that you can get that next promotion, so you can get that next job. It, it's not necessary right now because mm -hmm. there is such a lack of talent. So unless you're individually motivated to learn more and push yourself, you can grow in your career financially without ever having doing to you know, grow by simply hopping. So that's what we see happening a lot is people will go from job A to B to C to D, each one with a large increase in salary because there's this massive competition for talent, yet they haven't added additional skills as they've gone along the way because it's been unnecessary to maintain that trajectory. Mm -hmm. And, and you actually, oh, I'm sorry, guys. No, go ahead. I was going to say that that's perfect because that's also leading to my other thought is you know, what I, what I feel is a lot of times when you start a new job, like there's this feeling out period of anywhere from six months to a year where you still have like this newness. Now, granted, the higher you get, the, the shorter that period of time becomes. Yeah. But there is still that, 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 that newness, that honeymoon period. So it also makes it that much easier where I can come in, I build something I finish my build just as that honeymoon period is coming yeah. along. And just as it starts to get harder to prove my value to the organization yeah. or prove the value of what I've built to the organization, 
I move on to the next job. And and and, I, and and again, what's the motivation to stick around and have that have that challenge to make you better? Because there's another company out there that's going to add twenty percent to your salary if you go over and replicate what you just did at this company. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy decision for a lot of people. It is, and I think that that that, that that's part of the. That that's a massive part of it, and because again, also going back to what I was saying was, it's easier and more fun to constantly build, and I think it's also a, um, you know, just organizations overall, it's sometimes it's just easier, you know, you it's easy to get approval for this new thing that's going to solve all of these problems. Yeah, and and, that, and that's why you see companies today that have like 28 different solutions in their MarTech stack and they're mm-hmm. all half implemented and not working together because it's it's easy to buy a new solution because that's going to fix everything. It's a lot harder to build over the years to make all of this stuff actually work and start producing. Mm-hmm. So, so since there is a financial incentive to kind of keep that, that train going, because I mean, this even goes back to a conversation we had six months ago why some organizations never really get off the ground is because they're constantly re-implementing. Yeah. You have a new director of this coming in or a new senior manager of that coming in and they completely blow up what was done before, start over, and then they move on in the cycle yeah. constantly. It's tough repeats. to innovate in that environment. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And, and since there is a financial incentive to kind of keep that, that cycle going for, for all involved, you know, is there a way to, start the conversation within the industry to say, yes, implementation is good. Yes, implementation is fun. We all enjoy it. But at some point, we as an industry need to get beyond just implementing new solutions or re-implementing an existing solution yeah. and get into that maintenance phase to, you know, for the betterment of our clients. And again, that, that could be utopian me talking yeah. and, you know, that, like that, 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 that's some kind of fantasy, but at least one thing I kind of put it out there is that some kind of con kind of conversation that could be started because I think we're going to constantly be in this, this cycle of just constantly rebuild, tear down, rebuild, tear down. Yeah. And maybe we change the paradigm from build and maintenance to we build a, an environment and then we move into innovation phase. Um, and maybe that is more attractive to people. I honestly, I don't know how we position it. And I, I, I hope that we can start a conversation, um, internally about how to solve the problem, because if we don't, it's going to be solved for us by market forces. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that at some point in time, we're going to reach some kind of tipping point where the market says enough is enough. We're, we're paying a high dollar value for these services we're paying and and for most companies we're paying exponentially more for the product which we've probably talked about as probably flipped it needs to be reversed but mm-hmm. we're putting out a lot of money and we're not getting the value out of these investments and at some point in time there's going to there will come a reckoning where some of that is is pulled back and we have um, a really hard conversation about the value that these things are are creating both from a product and from a services perspective. So I hope that we can have a conversation about that. So we're obviously very focused on that um, as 33 sticks, but our sphere sphere of influence is fairly small. You know, Mm -hmm. we can influence our client base. 
we can maybe influence the few people that listen to our podcast, but that's not going to change the entire direction of an industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and so while I think we can insulate ourselves against those market forces, the greater industry can't unless something larger happens to address the need to fix what is fundamentally broken right now. Mm -hmm. And let's go back to where we started the conversation about doing something differently. So it, you know, to, to me, it's challenging people to look past the short-term implementation dollars. You know, yeah. it, you know, let's just focus on services companies, so consulting firms and agencies, where there's the short-term, hey, we'll come in and implement this for you. Yeah. You may have a solution, but our recommendation is is you need to completely re-implement it. Uh, looking past that and looking toward the, the long-term dollars, which I think could be greater if you get a client in you know, pass that implementation phase into somewhere where they have the solution in place for two and a half, three years, and it's fully productionized. And that's actually driving um, change within the organization. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. And it's 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 really a conversation about sustainability. And a lot of companies aren't having that conversation. And, and to your point, I can't remember who I was talking to earlier this week, but I, I see that happen with so many companies and, and a lot of service companies, unfortunately, are helping drive this where it's let's let's make this big investment today and not worry about tomorrow. Let's just build for today. You have a list of things you're trying to accomplish. We'll check everything off that list. But we don't think about tomorrow. We don't think about sustainability. And I was talking with one of our clients the other day and I said, look, I'm not going to build something unless we can build something that we can jointly commit to sustaining over time. And that's a different conversation because I can quickly address your business needs right now, but that may not be the right solution. We have to think about sustainability in, in everything we do. So I found this quote and it was for a different part of the conversation, but I, I think now's a good time to bring it back in. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. Um, a lot of his philosophies and, and thoughts about doing business have informed how I've created and run 33 sticks. Um, and there's this one quote in here that has really stuck with me. And this is from, and I will, I will link up the episode. Um, there's this NPR interview with him. Um, let me see if I can find it and I'll scroll down. Sorry for the time. Um, where they're they're talking with with Yvonne about about building the company. It's it's like a twenty five minute podcast. It's it's amazing. It's it's like the Bible to me. I I've listened to the episode over and over and over again. Um, but there's one part in there where they're talking about his vision for building a company and and why he's making the decisions he is. And he said, um, I as an owner of a company. Um, I have a responsibility to sustainability and we decided to put our company in a path to where we would be here 100 years from now. So all the decisions we make are for the long term, um, which which means that for him and the question was about growth and the, the push of Wall Street to grow 15, 20, 30 percent every year. He's like, you can't you can't keep up that pace long term. You will die. And so we made the decision, we can't grow 15% every year. We decided to grow at a natural organic rate um, and, and continue to tell our customers um, 
that we're going to create high value product. They may get frustrated with us because things are sold out, but we'll come back with, with more and better product, but only at an organic rate. And my whole point in, in bringing that up, and I probably didn't do that quote justice. And again, I'll link up the full episode in the blog post for, for this episode, because I, I do think it's, it's very much worth a listen, um, is that if, if we're not thinking long-term and sustainability, then the default position is let's grow and go as fast as we can. And while that may work in a short period of time, if you stretch that out and you're really trying to build something for the long term, that model has proven time and time again to be faulty. It just it can't be sustained. And so for for us, when we're we're talking with companies about what's the right solutions to build, it's it's easy for us to step back and say the answer may be really clearly we do A. But the right answer might be B, and it's going to be a lot harder for us to do, but it's going to position you to be more sustainable in, in the future. And it's going, to, it's going to give us a higher guarantee that five, 10 years from now, the work we're doing today will still matter. I can almost guarantee you if we don't think about that, it won't. Not only five years from now, like a year from now. It's amazing. And you probably have seen firsthand, Jim, stories where you've seen implementations that were on spec and met every one of the requirements of a customer day one by 90 days in begin to fall apart. Yeah. Because they they immediately just either walk away from it or there's no plan to say, okay, this is what we need to get out right now. But there there's the, the follow-up question of where do we go from here? Isn't even asked much less answered. Yeah. And, and so for, for me, what I would like to see more is, the industry celebrating people who are really mastering their craft. I, I think as an industry, we like to pat ourselves on the back for running after the, the next shiny object in the sand. Right now, you see a lot of the thought leaders in our industry chasing AI and, and all of these new things that are kind of the hot technologies. And they're going to be speakers at conferences and they're going to win industry awards and they're going to get write-ups about being on some list of something under something. And that's that's fine. But what I'd really like to see celebrated, maybe not instead, I would prefer instead of, but maybe in addition to, is we celebrate people that have really dedicated to becoming masters of the craft. And it may not look as sexy, but to those of us on the inside that really know how difficult mastery is, it is something that is beautiful and we can really, really appreciate. And so if you're asking like, what do we do as an industry? We can talk about it all we want. We can say that this is a problem. We can bring it up and talk about it at conferences and events. But really, I think if we start to shift our focus in what we appreciate and celebrate, and as companies looking to hire people and reward people, and as an industry, what we're we're willing to celebrate and talk about, we need to flip the script to um, celebrate those that have truly invested and want to become masters of the craft. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I completely agree with that. And I actually got have like a related, you know, something related to that. But uh, a, a quick aside, um, the the whole mastery thing. Like I've got a blog post started, you know, related kind of going back to when we we talked about mastery a, a few weeks ago. And kind of some of the things that I've really started to do, me personally, giving my personal experience on on that. But, you know, related to what you were talking about, you know, people talking at at conferences and 
you know, what is celebrated. One of the things that drives me nuts about conference presentations, whether it's, it's local meetups or, you know, um, you know, major annual conferences is you always have this situation where vendor partners with client, they talk about a use case and it goes from, we had this question and then it's, we were able to do all of these things. There's very little talk about the in-between. And if we spent more time talking about the in-between and say, yes, they had this question three years ago. Mm-hmm. And we've spent the last three years incrementally getting here. We set out these five major milestones. And it took us two and a half years to fully get it built. And then the last six months truly realizing the gains of it. I think that is also necessary because what happens is, is it gives this false sense of um, how quickly something can be built. Yeah. And you then run into a situation where you paint this big picture of where you want to be. And one of two things either happens. You keep looking at the picture and like, Oh, we could be there in three years, but then two years goes by and it's still three years away. Or, you know, so you get, you know, intimidated by it or, you start moving on it slowly and people get bored with it. People get frustrated with it and it just slowly starts to die on the vine. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes back to what we celebrate and what we find joy in, in doing. And I think society as a society, um, we have become less and less able to delay gratification because we see the end state as what is exciting. We don't see the process as fulfilling. And, you know, I've, I've seen it across the board and this isn't specific to our industry. It's just across the board. You know, I have, I have friends in their twenties that are miserable because they don't have now what took their parents a lifetime to, Mm -hmm. to build. And I know people like that. Right. And it's, it's just a societal wide problem that, um, we want everything now. We don't want to put in the work and, um, I don't, I don't want to turn this into an education discussion, but I think there's a real challenge in education right now. And there's lots of um, competitors to higher ed coming in, which I think is a great, a great thing. Um, but the narrative that so many of the, <clears throat> excuse me, so many of these kind of boot camps that are popping up or painting is you don't have to put in a ton of work. You can blast through this short six week boot camp and then have everything that your parents worked a lifetime to get. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an unrealistic expectation and it further goes to strengthen the fact that you don't have to delay gratification to get to some kind of in state in which you can enjoy. And, and I think it's unfortunate because I think that where the enjoyment is and where the true growth, both from a personal and from a business perspective, comes in the process. Speaking of Philly sports, right? Um, I knew I was going to bring it back. We can tie that back in. The the process is really the 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 most enjoyable part, and um, we have somehow along the way decided that the process isn't enjoyable, and so we just want to skip from A to the end and and celebrate that. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about um, climbing and I've been really into mountaineering documentaries as of late and everybody's probably watched um, Free Solo at this point. And, you know, for me, seeing the accomplishment of Free Soloing El Cap wasn't the thing that was enjoyable about that documentary. It was the process and the grueling, you know, painstaking preparation, both mentally and physically to get there 
if he if if it, if the movie would have stopped short from ever showing him on top of the mountain, I wouldn't have cared, you know, because it wasn't the it, it wasn't this endpoint for me that was enjoyable. It was all of the tedious moments of preparation that got there. And I think I think we could take a lot from that in in our work is that we we see it standing up an implementation, building an optimization program as the thing to celebrate instead of the preparation and the process to get there as as enjoyable and and not in the build to get somewhere but in the preparation to put something in place to allow us to continue to do great things because it's not a stopping point there's always another summit that we want to get to or another point that we want to achieve so i i think a big part of it is just flipping our, our mindset flipping what we celebrate and honestly being okay with with delaying our gratification a bit and and finding gratification in the journey and and not the destination necessarily Sorry, that got way too philosophical. No, no. And I, I was actually trying to say like, a, uh, again, without repeating about I agree, but I, I, I can't, you know, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Like I, I, I have nothing more to add to that. So I think that that, that pretty much, you know, um, really sums up, you know, everything that we talked about yeah. you know, from, from the company level to the personal level to the, the industry level. Um, you know, again, you know, while there, I think there's some short-term gains for everybody with, you know, people moving very, very quickly, I think it, the, the biggest problem I see with it, and we've talked about it is, is we're, we're never able to, to move on. Yeah. Every, people are in a constant build state. They're never able to move on. So we're just and, constantly repeating this cycle. And, and that's what happens when you don't think about sustainability. Yes. You know, if if I'm a if I'm a shoe manufacturer and I'm not thinking about sustainability, I'm I'm building crappy shoes that wear out every three months. So you're constantly buying new shoes. <laughs> you know, so it, it it's it permeates every industry that if you're not thinking about sustainability, you're constantly in that build phase because things are wearing out, things are are turning over. Um, and maybe that's not right for everybody, but for us, it's it's absolutely essential that everything we build is about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would challenge those that are listening to find ways to look at what they're doing from a more sustainable perspective. You know, whether I'm an analytics manager at a company and I'm tasked with building out the organization, take a step back and think, am I making decisions that are sustainable? And it doesn't matter if it's within my tenure here or not. It should be the long term. Like I want to leave a legacy, whether I'm there or not. I want what I have to to sustain over the the long haul. And that's a change in perspective for a lot of people. If you know you're building a company or you're running a services team, are the decisions we're making just for today, or are we thinking about how will this be sustainable in the future? Um, I'm not going to say it's a it's a silver bullet, but I would say from what we've learned, both from running a business. And advising our clients on what's best for both them as a business and, the, and individually as employees is that it's a very safe bet to bet on sustainability. It, it usually wins, uh, especially in a long enough time frame. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I think, that, again, that, that pretty much sums everything up. I, I've got nothing much more to add, so... I think we can go ahead and uh, wrap up for for there. I think you you put a really really nice bow on on a multifaceted conversation and a multifaceted topic. Yeah, it's a it's a fun conversation and again one that my my goal isn't to like rock the boat or upset people and say we're we're doing it all wrong. I, and I and and 
and I don't want to stretch this out any any further, but I, I I don't want people to take away that message that you know we're 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 making a decision to be lazy or not push ourselves. It it's just the environment we find ourselves in, and and in order to correct that, we just need to recognize it and expect more out of ourselves because we're all capable of of doing more than than we think, and and from there we can start really talking about innovation and doing bigger and better things, which I think we we ultimately all want. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's ultimately pushing people to think differently. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, just before we started, you and I were having a topic, uh, a conversation about some, some recent things with a with a client. And, you know, we're, we're going in there saying if we keep it as business as usual, we're all going to fail. Yeah. Whereas if we come in and we challenge you to think differently and then you push back to make sure we're continuing to do that, that's how we succeed. So no, I I, yep. I think what, what you're basically doing is challenging people to think differently, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, I, and I and I like that. I, I I like that challenge, and we do it internally all the time. I you know force everyone all the time, and as a business, so again, we have a small sphere of influence. But if we could be a little pebble, and someone else picks up on that vibe and message and helps distribute it, then maybe we can you know make a larger change. Yep. All right. Good topic. St- yeah. Starts with just one little ripple. Yep, for sure. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now. Thanks, Jim. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents Podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.